welcome to the latest episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Schimpoli, News Director at APA. Our guest on this episode is Bill Johnson, General Manager of the Kansas City Board of Public Utilities, a public power utility based in Kansas City, Kansas. Bill, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Paul, for the invitation. Sure thing. So, Bill, uh, in terms of preparing for this interview, one of the things that jumped out at me in terms of looking at your biography is the fact you've worked at the utility for more than 39 years. Um, so I wanted to get our conversation started off um, with this topic specifically related to your career path at the utility. Could you provide our listeners with an overview of that? Yeah, I can, I'd be happy to. So in 1980, I began my career at the Board of Public Utilities in Kansas City, Kansas, by starting out in an entry-level position. I was in my early 20s at the time and uh, had just relocated to uh, the Kansas City, Kansas uh, area. Since that time, through hard work, dedication, taking advantage of our company's education reimbursement plan, I was able to, to get promoted over the years into higher leadership uh, positions. And currently, serve, I'm serving as general manager of Kansas City Board of Public Utilities. So it may sound a little familiar to some that may be on the call, but, uh, you know, I've always tell people that. None of us can accomplish any of our goals all by ourselves. So I was very fortunate to be able to have other people before me to also introduce me into ways of better understanding how to position myself, how to set personal goals for myself, and how to accomplish those goals over time. Having interviewed a number of general managers and CEOs, there seems to be a clear trend in terms of a lot of uh, people have started at kind of the entry level and worked their way up. Um, So I think that's one of the interesting uh, dynamics related to public power. Wanted to just switch gears here real quick and talk about um, something we actually covered in our newsletter here um, was the fact that the utility was recently assigned a profile rating of A and stable outlook by Fitch Ratings and S&P. How has the utility successfully positioned itself in terms of earning such high marks from rating agencies? Well, one way I would contribute a lot of our success to staff uh, by all of us taking a fiscally responsible position when it comes to managing the utility and its costs. You know, we have, uh, we're very fortunate to have an industrial customer base that's quite diverse and have been somewhat unaffected by recent downturns in the economy. I would say that uh, it's a huge benefit for us. This has provided us with, you know, a higher comfort level and knowing that we'll have stable revenue streams and, you know, in order to operate our utility uh, the way we would like to and provide the type of services back to the community that we would like. Our board of directors has also been very supportive to raising rates when needed. Of course, you know, we don't we're not in the rate market uh, that often. Uh, and in fact, when you compare our rates to all the other utilities in the greater Kansas City market, we're very competitive. Uh, despite the fact that our board will support us when those needs come. And then finally, our rates uh, have been designed to allow us to be able to quickly capture revenue, you know, when we are faced with any potential volatility in the market. You know, we have riders on our bill. We have other levers and mechanisms that we can can, uh, choose to select if we need to. But more importantly, we have the ability to replenish our reserves uh, through our the rates that we have in place today. So the industrial customer base that you reference has that been? Is it is it fair to say that's a fairly steady core in terms of your customer mix? Yeah, it is. I mean, we're diverse across uh, industrial 
all of our industrial class and commercial class customers. So we don't, we tend not to, our customers tend not to occupy a certain space, you know, and uh, so when you see us and compare us to other cities, you know, cities may lean heavily towards one type of manufacturing sector or one type of service sector. Ours uh, is very diverse in that regard. So even though the uh, housing market may be down, we may have other type of companies that may be doing quite well. So mm-hmm. we're able to somewhat ride through those uh, downturns and uh, and been very successful with uh, keeping the type of customers we have in place. And then we've been very aggressive in our economic development efforts and attracting an even more diverse set of customers. Just want to talk a little bit in terms of renewable energy, and I know from from researching um, the utility prior to our interview, it's clear that that renewables are a core element of, of your generation mix. So, two part question for you: First, could you describe the utility's existing portfolio as it relates to renewable energy, and also, does the utility plan to continue to add renewables to its generation mix going forward? Yeah. So, first of all, let's start out by saying that. Uh, today, we're about 48% renewable when you look at all of our generation portfolio. And what makes up this, about 84% of that comes through three different uh, large wind contracts that we have. These are 25-year contracts that uh, we still have a lot of life in, uh, left in them. Uh, about 14% are in hydro contracts. We're the only utility in Kansas that actually take power uh, off a hydro project in Kansas, and uh, and that's uh, about 30 miles west of our city. There's a hydro facility in the city of Lawrence, and we take all of the power from there. We have about 1% uh, landfill gas and, and about 1% of the community solar farm that we built just a few years ago. So having all that, we've been very successful in reducing our coal consumption by around 67% since 2007. And in terms of future renewables, uh, I see that we'll probably increase the amount of renewables. I think it'll go at a slower pace than what we've done over the, over, uh, the past few years. One of the conversations we're having with some of our large consumers that want to go greener themselves is, how do we come up with a joint program together to where we can add additional uh, renewable energy to our portfolio and deliver it to them without the utilities taking on all the financial risk of us going along with uh, procuring more power through through various renewable sources. So, yes, I think I think there will be more. We'll we'll take a little bit different approach uh, going forward as to how we how we build that portfolio out beyond so- our today. Okay, great. Yeah, so just a quick follow-up with respect to those conversations on on a joint project approach. Is that, I guess it's kind of, is that, is it fair to say that's kind of a starting point where nothing is uh, kind of transpired in terms of uh, solid plans? Well, we we do have, we do have what we call a green rider that's already been designed. Uh, And I didn't roll that out uh, over the last few years because we were in a a national pandemic. We also uh, had completed part of our cost of service uh, study and that we were looking at uh, making a rate case and having public hearings for that. But, you know, COVID-19 occurred and and all of that got derailed. So now we're going back through 
the cost of service study and having the conversation and kind of refreshing the green rider, then we will be introducing that early next year. Um, one other quick follow-up question on the topic of renewals. Um, you know, as you know, um, a fair amount of public power utilities have started to pair um, solar projects, I guess, in particular with, with energy storage. Is, is energy storage a technology you guys have looked at at all? Well, we keep looking at the prices and looking at the market uh, when it comes to storage. We uh, we took a look uh, seven, eight years ago. The price signals were not quite where we needed them to be. Right. And, uh, we've been monitoring the market around uh, storage and will continue to. So at some point, yes, I think as we ex- expand our, our, our uh, solar energy uh, offering, I think so- solar would be, I'm sorry, I think uh, storage would be part of that mix. Uh, but we still have to get there and we still have to make sure that it's cost competitive to everything else we generate. So, so Bill, my, my wrap-up question is kind of a big-picture one. Um, specifically, I'd love to get your thoughts in terms of what you see as some of the biggest challenges facing the electric utility sector these days, and how is Kansas City Board of Public Utilities proactively taking steps to address what you see as challenges? Okay. Well, I'll name a few if you give me, give me a moment. So, mm-hmm. one that we're currently dealing with is some of the supply chain issues that uh, I think all utilities have faced. So part of that is, you know, just getting uh, goods and materials in on a, on a uh, regular schedule, which uh, seems to be somewhat of a problem now. But we, we continue to look at all of our vendors. We're looking at diversifying that vendor list as much as we can, looking to maybe procure materials from sources that we haven't looked at in a while or haven't uh, done business with before. So, for example, materials that used to take three to six months for us to receive sometimes now are taking a year year and a half or two years so we're having to overstock and i say overstock and this is just based on past practices uh, but it's kind of what we're doing now is taking a look at some of the most critical things that we need and holding more quantities or ordering more quantities just so that we can get through any delays and delivery that we may face in the near future Another thing that uh, we've had a lot of conversations and I was quite concerned about is the potential railroad strike that we just witnessed. So had a number of calls with railroad executives and tried to make our case on how a disruption in rail service would negatively, negatively impact our community, both on the electric side and on the water side. Uh, so we all know that there's coal uh most coal is delivered by rail or, you know, we still have a coal generating facility, which which uh, we like to kind of keep in the mix to continue to diversify, keep our prices where they are and provide reliable local power to our community. But, you know, any disruption in those coal trains will put that plant at risk. And, and certainly we didn't want to see that. More importantly, I think uh, would have been us not being able to get a lot of chemicals delivered for a water treatment facility. And what I was looking at and what I think most of the country would have looked at on a railroad strike, prolonged railroad strike, would have been, you know, public safety issues that would have come up around not having a public drinking water system in place. So so those were things that 
We had a lot of conversations with the railroad industry, with with the other pure utilities, with a few elected officials, because, uh, you know, we didn't want to see that. And uh, my hope is they can still work their way through those contract disputes that they that they are that they're currently having. Final piece I will talk about. Uh, we all know about the about the environmental concerns, but I'll, I want to focus on employee development and recruitment. So we operate in a very competitive market in Kansas City. There's other utilities here, electric utilities here. There's large engineering firms here. And then there's other companies that we compete with on a day-to-day annual basis for both skilled labor and professional talent. So what we've had to do is go more national with our recruiting searches. And and we've also are developing more internally than we have in the past with apprenticeships, you know, bringing in interns uh, and then going down that that route on developing internally, you know, but we've been very successful with looking national and and backfilling some of the talent in some of our most critical areas of the utility. And my hope is we can continue to be successful on that front. Great. So, yeah, I mean, with respect to workforce, um, yeah, obviously throughout the economy, there's been adjustments as it relates to the pandemic. Um, Have you guys had any, what kind of adjustments have you had to make in terms of the, you know, working through the pandemic? Well, you know, with us, uh, providing uh, utility service, we we were limited in our capacity to be able to send everybody home to work. And uh, so I did, as a way of kind of spreading out the workforce, we let about 25% of our staff work from home. And, uh, and then we staggered a lot of shifts. We put in a lot of uh, personal protection gears. We did a lot of uh, paid time off for those that, uh, contracted COVID and uh but we you know we, we went back and took a look at many safety measures, sent out a lot of memos, didn't really have a pandemic plan to start with, so we kind of developed one on the fly. Uh, a lot of lessons learned. I think we'd be better prepared. But the one thing that I w- was able to achieve is throughout the pandemic we did position ourselves better to where if conditions had gotten worse uh, our technology got improved to the point to where we could have sent everybody home and, and at least all of our office employees home to work from home remotely. Well, glad we didn't have to pull that trigger because I was certainly worried about customer service levels and maintaining certain uh, certain qualities of customer service there and, uh, and then maintaining the culture that we have. I mean, we, this is a place that uh, a lot of people uh, – come from our community, work at our utility, our employees live in the community, and there was a there is a certain culture here that I didn't want to didn't want to, you know, lose uh due to a pandemic or anything else disrupting our operations. Um and just wanted to follow up with you also with respect to supply chain. I you know we're we're closing in rapidly on the start of 2023, which is hard to believe. But um do you you know I know no, none of us has a crystal ball in terms of knowing for sure what the future holds, but do you is your sense even anecdotally, um, that the supply chain challenges are going to carry over into a good chunk of 2023 at this point? You know, I think, I think there'll be some challenges still there. I think, uh, I think all of us are looking at innovative ways of, of going about securing uh, and fixing the supply chain problems that are there. I think mm-hmm. vendors are looking at 
different ways of doing businesses. We're certainly reaching out farther and broader than we than we ever had in the past uh, to find the type of materials and services. I mean, there's uh, a lot of what we do is contract out, uh, work through you know professional organizations, uh, and I think you know. I think over time it'll still be there, but I think that uh, all of us working towards ensuring that that uh, we kind of get back on track. Yes, I can kind of see us moving in that direction too. Great. Well, Bill, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It's been a great conversation. And as I do with, with all of the, the people who are guests on our, our program, you have an open invitation to return uh, at some point next year. I'll be glad to help out any way I can. Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Power Now. Be sure to check out past episodes and learn more at publicpower.org slash podcasts. Public Power Now comes to you from the American Public Power Association and is produced by APPA's David Blaylock. I'm Paul Champoli, and we'll be back soon with more from the world of public power. <laughs>